through the years, I have been around folks and watched folks from afar, pastors, missionaries, lay people, and I've noticed that, that, that certain people live with the power of God on their life. And it's hard to articulate, it's hard to explain how you know that, but when someone is walking in the power of God, you know it. And I've seen certain people living that kind of life, but their life is just impacting others, they are walking with God, they are making a difference. And in our text this morning, we're going to see a man who lived a powerful life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of zone in for a moment and, 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 and look at this man's life. His name's Apollos. And we're going to see in his life a blueprint for a powerful life. We're going to get, gain some insight into how we can live that kind of life. Now last week we looked at a consecrated life. We looked at the Apostle Paul. This week we're going to talk about a powerful life, walking with a touch of the supernatural upon your day-to-day living. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. We are going to finish uh, this chapter this morning. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. The Bible says, Now, a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. I don't really like that translation. We'll talk about that some more in a moment. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, remember them? When they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully, notice that word powerfully, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it is good to gather as a faith family and proclaim in song the great doctrines of our faith. We believe in God, our Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And we are grateful that through Jesus and His finished work, we can have a relationship with you, we can know you, and then we can be involved in your kingdom activity in this world. Lord, we can be involved in making you known. But we can't do that in our own strength. We can't make an impact in our own strength. We need your strength. We need your power. We need a touch of the supernatural on our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would use this blueprint found in your word today to help us. To help us understand what a powerful life looks like. And then give us the grace by your spirit to adjust our lives to live in that way. We love you. We praise you. We're grateful for your presence here. And I just pray, Lord, that your hand would rest upon us as 
we study your word. Lord, would you establish my steps in your word today? And we ask and pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, last week we studied a transitional passage which describes what happened to Paul between his long stay in Corinth and his upcoming long stay, we're going to see in the next few weeks, in Ephesus. It's sort of a transitional uh, passage. We saw that Paul uh, left, um, uh, left uh, uh, Corinth, went to Ephesus, went to Jerusalem, went to Antioch, his home church, and then began to journey back through Asia toward Ephesus, where he left a godly couple from Rome, a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and he left them to begin the work in that city of Ephesus and to, to do the ministry while he was uh, away. Acts 19 tells us he eventually made his way back to Ephesus and he would spend three years in that great city. And so that's the transitional passage we looked at last week. We looked at Paul living a consecrated life. Well, this week we see at the end of chapter 18 what happened in Ephesus while Paul was gone. Remember, he left Ephesus, left Aquila Priscilla there, Jerusalem, Antioch, traveled back to Ephesus. What happened while he was away from that city? We're going to see what happened, and it revolves around that couple, Aquila Priscilla, and it revolves around a young man named Apollos. So it's a very interesting story to see what happens in this city. Now, Ephesus had about 300,000 inhabitants in the first century. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia, and it was the most important commercial center. Thanks to a large harbor, Ephesus grew wealthy on trade, and thanks to the Temple of Diana, a pagan temple, it attracted hosts of visitors who wanted to see this building because that building was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so Ephesus was bustling with people, and it was filled with commerce and commercial activity, but it was also filled with darkness and paganism. And Paul was coming to that city, Aquila and Priscilla were in that city to bring the gospel to that strategic location. And that's when we see, when Paul's gone on his trip, uh, how Aquila and Priscilla encounter Apollos. So let's look at Apollos' life, and we're, again, we're looking at a blueprint for a powerful life. Now, just kind of on the front end, I know there are a lot of notes, all right? Don't let that fool you. We're going to go really, really fast. So just kind of hang in there, and we're going to go quickly through this, and we'll get through it, Lord willing. Maybe not, but we'll get through it if, if the Lord wants us to. Uh, but let's just look at Apollos' life, the, the blueprint for a powerful life. First of all, I want you to see that Apollos was gifted. Apollos was gifted. Notice what it says uh, back in chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So we know he was a Jew. We know he was from the Egyptian North African city of Alexandria. Alexandria was a great center of learning, uh, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It boasted a large library, and it was an intellectual center uh, in North Africa. And so Apollos was very, uh, probably very educated. We know he's educated in the scriptures, but very educated, uh, erudite, spending time in that city. And we don't know why, but he leaves Alexandria, and he comes into uh, Ephesus. And it says there, he was an eloquent man. He was an eloquent man. In other words, just to kind of simplify this, he was a good speaker. He knew how to get in front of people and to use the laws of rhetoric. 
you know, rational appeal and emotional appeal and uh, persuasive appeal, uh, ethical appeal. He could use those different tools that he probably learned growing up in Alexandria to engage an audience, to hold them spellbound, to be able to communicate truths to them. He was a, a really powerful speaker. He was an eloquent speaker. And I believe that was a gift of God because Apollos had this obvious gifting to teach. Uh, anywhere that he was, uh, he, would, he would speak and people would say, boy, that, that guy is a, is a gifted public speaker. And again, I believe that was his obvious gifting from God to teach. And God used that gift. Uh, we're going to see that he went over to Corinth and, and had a large following in Corinth and played a major role in the expansion of the gospel in the first century. God used him mightily and he had the, the gifting to teach. Now, here's what that means for us, because we're talking about the blueprint for a powerful life. Uh, okay, you say, wait, Apollos was a gifted guy. Yeah, that's good for him. No wonder he was used so mildly by God. Well, listen to me. Come in real close. You ready? You have a gift, too. Do you know that? You have a gift, too. You are just as gifted as Apollos. Your gift may be different. You may not be someone that has the, 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 the wherewithal to get in front of people and teach, but you have a spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, look over in 1 Corinthians with me, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth where Apollos spent a lot of time. Look what he says in... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. The Bible says, Now there are varieties of gifts. It's talking about spiritual gifts. Back in verse 1, he says, Concerning spiritual gifts. Now that word spiritual gifts is, is charismata. It, it literally means grace gifts. And so these gifts are given to us as an act of God's grace. Not something we deserve. It's a gift that God gives us. Because he wants us to be utilized in his kingdom. It's a gift of his grace. There are varieties of gifts, grace gifts. But the same spirit, there are varieties of service. But the same Lord, there are varieties of activities. But he is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And look in verse 7. To each, look, I'm looking at the each this morning. All right? To each, the Bible says is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so each one of you, if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says, have been given a gift that is given to you by God's grace, and it is intended for you to use for the common good. So we can't just look at Apollos and say, well, he's an obviously a very gifted dude. No wonder he had such great impact. You're a gifted dude or dudette too. You are. The Bible says to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a a, a grace gift for the common good. Every believer has a spiritual gift. So here's the application for us in this room. We are called to discern, learn what our gift is, and deploy our gift. Discern and deploy. And that brings up a big question, right? How do you discern what your spiritual gift is. And, and there, there are a lot of different things I could say here. Uh, there are spiritual gift inventories. You can go online and type in, find my spiritual gift, and there'll be these free uh, websites that come up that you can use. And, and we've, we've looked at some of those before, and we could use some of those maybe here in the future. And spiritual gift inventories can be very helpful. But here's my observation. 
My observation is the best way to discover your spiritual gift is just start serving. And if you'll just start serving, God will help you to maneuver to the place where He wants you to deploy your spiritual gift. In other words, I don't believe you'll ever discover your giftedness if you're not serving, if you're not in the game. If you're sitting on the bench, if you're on the sidelines, if you're in the stands, you're not going to discover your gift. But if you'll just start serving, God will use that to show you areas of giftedness in your life that he's given you as as a gift of grace that he wants you to use for his glory. Here's what Romans 12, 6 says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them. If you have a gift, put it into practice. Because I believe if you serve, you'll discover that place, that sweet spot of ministry where God has gifted you. And there'll be a a joy in that. There'll be confirmation from others. You'll see God's hand in that. I believe that's how we discover our spiritual gift the best. Now, inventories are good to use to come along and kind of confirm what we already are thinking. But listen to me. Get in the game. Start serving. God will show you your area of giftedness, and there will be a joy in that. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Liddell. He's one of the main characters in that movie. And Eric Liddell was an Olympic athlete from Great Britain, great uh, runner, and he, then he decided uh, to go to uh, China as a missionary, lived a great life for the glory of God, stood boldly for uh, the Lord. And there's a line in that movie uh, that he says to a, 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 another person, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I love that line. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Now, l- listen to me. What is it that you do for the Lord, and when you're doing it, you feel God's pleasure? Whatever that is, that's very likely your spiritual gift. And so Apollos was gifted. And if we want to live a powerful life, we need to to discern our gift and put it into action. But there's a second thing here. Not only was Apollos gifted. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. Look what it says back there in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. I don't like that translation. The word that's translated competent there in the ESV is the word dynatos where the word dynamite comes from. It's a word translated power in many other places in the Bible. And so I don't believe competent really really encapsulates what this word means. Now some of the older translations, I think New American Standard, I think King James, has the phrase mighty in the Scriptures. I believe that's just a better better rendition of that Greek word dynatos. And Apollos was a gifted man, an eloquent man. He had the gift to get up in front of folks and teach and and hold people's attention. But Apollos was also a man who knew his Bible, mighty in the Scriptures. Apollos knew the Word of God. I heard a story about a Southern Baptist preaching professor at the end of the 1800s. His name was John Broadus, wrote one of the best books on preaching that's ever been written, still being used today. 
And John Broadus had a group of, of men in his room that he was getting ready to send out to, to pastor churches, to preach the word of God. And this was about three weeks before he died. And in a very sober way, he said to the men, Men, as you go into your churches, be mighty in the scriptures. And history records that a hush fell over the room. He began to repeat that phrase, mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. In other words, if you're going to be used by God, you need to know your Bible. And Apollos knew his Bible. And so here's the application for us. Our goal should be to grow in knowledge and application of the Bible. That should be our goal. What if, listen, what if our lives were described as being mighty in the Scriptures? What if that was a description of your life and my life, that we were hungry for the Word and we were devouring the Word and we were living according to the Word? We were people of the book. Do you think that would change things? I guarantee you, if we were mighty in the Scriptures, marriages would be transformed. And households would be transformed. And workplaces would be different if we lived mighty in the Scriptures. You say, well, Pastor Wade, I'm a busy person. I just don't really have the time. I I struggle with consistency. Now listen to me. Let me prove to you that your struggle with consistency is really a lack of desire. Here's how I'm going to prove it to you. What if someone knocked on your door this afternoon and said, I've got a proposition for you. If you read the Bible every day this week, I'll give you a million dollars at the end of the week. You think you'd be able to find time to read your Bible then? You think you'd forget or neglect it or leave it on the shelf? No. See, the issue is not time. The issue is desire. That's the issue. Because I promise you, if someone's going to give you a million dollars, you'd find time to get in the Word of God. We, 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 we lack desire to read the Bible because, listen, we don't understand the value, right? We understand the value of a million dollars. So we get in the Bible and read it. But we don't understand the value, the spiritual value of reading God's Word and being mighty in the Scriptures. Listen to me. It will change your life. It's of much more value for you than a million dollars. By the way, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And so, Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures. May that begin to characterize us in a greater and greater way. Let me tell you a third thing about Apollos. Apollos was passionate. He was passionate. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, He he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had learned some things about the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now that word fervent there, where it says he was fervent in spirit, literally means boiling. That's the word there. He was boiling over. And the word means to show great eagerness towards something, to show enthusiasm, or to commit oneself completely to something. And Apollos was a passionate man. His spirit was boiling. Now there are some, some um, differences of views as to what this phrase means. Some people believe it means that in his spirit uh, he, was, he was passionate. Some people believe that he was passionate in the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's different views of what that means, but those are connected. If you're going to be passionate for the Lord, it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? 
there's really no need to kind of uh, debate this, this, this text. They're, they're connected. But here's what we learn. Apollos was passionate. Now, let me ask you a question. This word means boiling. Here, here's a question for you. How would those closest to you, how would those closest to you describe your spiritual temperature? Isn't that a good question? How would those closest to you describe your spiritual temperature? Passion comes, boiling of spirit comes when we remove things that lessen our affections for Christ and we focus on things that stir our affections for Christ. So listen, if there's something in your life that's robbing you of passion for Jesus, you need to remove it or or distance yourself from it. Consecration, like we talked about last week. And if there's something in your life that really causes you to boil over with love for Jesus, then you need to focus on that thing. Make sure it's a consistent reality in your life. Remove the things that, that, that suck away your passion for Christ and, and put into place those things that stir your affections for Christ. Years ago, Claire and I, we were really enjoying a certain sitcom. If I named it, you'd be able to, probably many of you in here have watched it or still watch it or whatnot. And, and the, 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 the sitcom, it was, it was hilarious, it was funny, it was engaging. The, the, the characters were, were, uh, were charming. And, and we just watched that show, we'd laugh out loud. And, but something began to happen over time. Claire and I began to realize that there was just very little spiritual value or no spiritual value in watching that show because it was filled with, with innuendo and things that are disgraceful in the eyes of God and things that we shouldn't even laugh about or joke about were things we were laughing about. And, and, and just a, a work God was doing in Claire's life, my life, we just came to the conclusion this, this show is really robbing our passion for Jesus, is robbing our affection for Jesus. It's hard to love Jesus and be immersed in this show night after night after night. And so we just can't quit watching it. We really did. I just, just quit watching. I'm not telling you that, that you need to stop this or start. I'm just saying, what robs you of affection for Christ? And if there's something in your life that you're able to pinpoint, stop doing it. And, and fill that time up with something that stirs your affections for Christ. So let me give you some examples of things that stir my affections for Christ. My dining room table, open Bible, cup of coffee. That stirs my affections for Christ. My, my favorite times of the week are when I'm alone with Jesus, just, just with him and his word. That, that stirs my affection for Christ. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm doing that consistently. Being around you stirs my, my affections for Christ. Singing great songs of the faith with you stirs my affections for Christ. So why would I want to miss that? Right? Because, because when I leave this place, listen to me, I'm more passionate for Jesus than when I walked in. And by the way, isn't that the point? Why would I want to miss that? And I could go on and on about things that stir my affections for Christ. Looking out at the stars at night, watching the sunset or the sunrise, standing at the edge of the ocean. I mean, there are things, these are things that stir my affection for Christ. Sharing the gospel, seeing someone saved, seeing someone baptized, that stirs my affection for Christ. Seeing God at work in other places in the world, that stirs my affections for Christ. So we need to focus on those things that, that cause us to boil over with passion. Apollos was a passionate man. 
And, and I, I, I conclude that you'll never be powerful if you're not passionate. There's another thing here. Apollos was courageous. Look in verse 26. I told you we were going fast. Look in verse 26. When he arrives in Ephesus, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He was a Jew. That was his background. So he goes to the Jews and begins to speak boldly in the synagogue, teaching the word of God. And he's preaching with great courage. When he goes over to Achaia, when he goes to Corinth, he continues to, to minister, to teach and preach with great boldness, with great courage. Apollos, listen to me, modeled a bold, unapologetic presentation of Christ. It says there in verse 24, he was, he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he's talking about Christ here. And he is doing it with great courage. And here's why that's important for us. In, in, in the face of growing intimidation, and we see it everywhere, in the face of growing hostility in our culture, boldness is a prerequisite for Christians to have impact. In other words, we'll never live a powerful life if we're not courageous. It's just not going to happen. Because we're never going to engage people where they need to be engaged. And one of the reasons that Apollos was a powerful man, one of the reasons we see the touch of, of the supernatural on his life is because he was bold. He preached Jesus boldly. This past week I was reading in my quiet time the story of Gideon over in the book of Judges. I love that story. And when God first called Gideon, he calls him a mighty man. That's what God calls Gideon. A little bit later in the text, here's what Gideon says about himself. Gideon says, I am from the weakest clan of Israel. It's almost like he's saying, my family's a bunch of sissies. I'm from the weakest clan in Israel. And I am least in my father's house. That's what Gideon says. You want me to lead this army and overthrow the Midianites? And I come from a weak family and I'm the weakest in my home? What? Gideon was anything but courageous. But listen how God answers him. This is so, so important. The Lord said, I will be with you. And that's the key to boldness. If God is with us, we don't have to be scared of anything or anyone. Amen? If God is with us, we can live with with courage, with boldness. We can speak with authority the truths of God because God is with us. And the next time you find yourself cowering down when it comes to standing for Christ and speaking truth for Christ, just remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. You don't have to be scared. God is with you. And so, Apollos was courageous. But fifth, and this is so important, Apollos was teachable. Apollos was teachable. Something interesting happens in verse 25. It says, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though 
he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, the Bible says, but when Priscilla and Aquila, this godly couple that Paul left in Ephesus to do the work of the ministry, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what's happening here? Apollos is accurately teaching Jesus, and yet there are some things he needed to know to be even more accurate. Apollos had a gap of knowledge that Priscilla and Aquila graciously filled in. Now here's the big question. What's the gap in knowledge? What doesn't he know that Priscilla and Aquila are helping him to understand? Well, there are at least three views of what his gap in knowledge is. And I want to give you those three views very quickly. Uh, We don't want to dwell on this. We just need to know that he had a gap in knowledge that Aquila and Priscilla helped to fill. But, But here are the three views on this gap in knowledge. Number one, it could have been that he didn't know of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's a, a very popular view that he knew about John the Baptist. He, he knew that John the Baptist had pointed at Jesus of Nazareth and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he knew about Jesus being the Messiah sent from God, but he didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't know that, that after John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, that Jesus continued to live a perfect life and he went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he rose from the grave. And so Priscilla and Aquila, according to this view, take him aside and say, hey, listen, let me tell you what happened to Jesus and what that means for our lives. That's the view of Warren Wearsby. He writes, Apollos knew the Old Testament scriptures well, and was able to teach him with eloquence and power. He was fervent in his spirit and diligent in his presentation of the message. He was bold enough to enter the synagogue and preach to the Jews. The only problem was that this enthusiastic man was declaring an incomplete gospel. His message got as far as John the Baptist and then stopped. He knew nothing about Calvary, the resurrection of Christ, or the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's Warren Wearsby's view. Now, here's my view. These events happened about 20-some years after Jesus Christ was on the earth. And so I find it a little hard to to fathom that that Apollos had not heard of the death and resurrection of Christ and Pentecost. And the reason I believe that is because at Pentecost there were some folks there from Egypt that made it back surely to Alexandria, and surely he heard something of what was happening over 20 years' time. Now, it could have been. He, he may not have heard of these things, but I just find that hard to kind of grasp. I believe he probably had heard of the death and resurrection of Christ, which leads to another view. It could have been that he didn't know about Christian baptism. It says there in verse 25 that he knew only the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance that was looking forward to Christ. And maybe they didn't know that Jesus had commanded, hey, after you embrace me as Lord and Savior, you need to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Is a picture of the gospel and a picture of what I've done on the inside of you. Your old self is dead. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, Apollos didn't know, according to this view, that baptism was no longer a step of repentance and preparation for the Messiah. It is identification with the Messiah and his church. David Peterson, New Testament scholar, says it like this. It seems likely that some of John the Baptist's disciples retained their distinctive beliefs for a while after his death and continued to urge other Jews to prepare for the coming of the Lord by accepting the baptism offered by John. While many of the Baptist disciples recognized in Jesus the fulfillment of their expectations, 
Others may have had a mixture of beliefs and practices that fell short of the understanding and experience of mainstream Christianity as portrayed in Acts. And so maybe he had an incomplete understanding of the reality that John the Baptist's baptism had, had now passed away, and baptism was for Christians who had embraced Christ as Lord and Savior. He, he maybe didn't understand that baptism was supposed to be on this side of a person's conversion, not before their conversion. And here's the third view. It could have been that he didn't know about the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit. Verse 25, it says, He knew only the baptism of John. But listen to what it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, He preached, John the Baptist, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So those two realities are in the same verse. Acts 1, 4, and 5. This is Jesus talking. He says, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the baptism of the Spirit is the new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit, whereby he indwells believers and empowers them for growth and service. So maybe Apollos knew about Jesus, knew about his time on the earth, knew about what he had done, but he did not know about the reality of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and all that that means for us. He knew about the baptism of John, didn't know about the baptism of the Spirit. John Paul Hill writes, In the Gospels and Acts, it is precisely the Holy Spirit who distinguishes the baptism of John from that of Jesus. And so those are three views. And, and listen, whatever your view is, go for it. All right, I've got my ideas. I'm more kind of on view two or three. Uh, I haven't kind of made up my mind yet, but it's, that's not the, the important thing. The important thing is this. There was a gap in his knowledge that Priscilla and Aquila lovingly took him aside to fill in. And Apollos received that teaching and went on to be mightily used by God. Whatever the gap in his knowledge was, Apollos gladly took on the posture of a learner so that he could be accurate in his teaching. And here's the application for us. You and I need to remain teachable because we all have more to learn. Can I get an amen? Remember, I don't think some of you were listening because you're not being taught right now. All right. You and I need to remain teachable because there's always more to learn. And and I believe that we will not be mightily used by God, His hand on our life, living with a touch of the supernatural, if we're not teachable. Because God is continually molding us and making us into who He wants us to be. We have to be open to what God is teaching us through His Word, through other teachers, believers, that can help us to grow more like Christ. It's interesting, when I I was in seminary, you'd have uh, young men. I mean, just young men, first year in seminary. They would walk in this room and they'd hear a professor share a particular view about something. And this this seminary student took it as their job to change the professor's view. This professor's been studying the Word of God and theology for decades. And this first year seminary student is going to change their mind. And I always thought, just stop talking. Stop talking. You know, it really is true. God gave us one mouth in how many years? Two ears. We need 
to, we need to maintain the posture of learners so, so we can allow God to do what he wants to do in our life to make us more like Jesus. And so we've seen a lot of things about Apollos. Here's how I want to close. He was gifted, mighty in the scriptures, passionate, courageous, teachable. But here's the last thing. Apollos was ambitious. Look what it says in verse 27. After Priscilla and Aquila took him aside, and by the way, if you're helping somebody with a gap in knowledge, don't embarrass them in public. Take them aside. Lovingly share with them the truth. Amen? And it says in verse 27, when he wished to cross to Achaia, over to Greece, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so here's Apollos in Ephesus, preaching to the synagogue, being taught the way of God more accurately, but something begins to stir around in Apollos' heart. Maybe he hears the stories about Corinth, how strategic of a city that is, and how the work was incomplete. And he begins to think, I want to go there. I want to go and, and, and be used by God. And he goes, and the Bible says he's used to encourage believers and evangelize the lost. And, and so what does Apollos model for us? He models godly ambition in that he wanted to do something for the glory of God. Now, there is a, a such thing as sinful ambition, selfish ambition, where it's all about you. But I believe the Bible teaches us to live in godly ambition, where we want to do something great for His glory. That's godly ambition. And so here's my question for all of you gathered in this room today. It's a big question. It may take you some time to reflect. It may take you just some time to, to pray and maybe talk to some loved ones. But here, here's the question. What do you desire to do for the glory of God? When's the last time you dreamed about the potential of your life? When's the last time you were laying in bed awake at night? Because you couldn't sleep so excited about an idea, something God had for you, an opportunity. When was the last time you dreamed and envisioned and desired with godly ambition to do something great for the glory of God? William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement, was a shoe cobbler. And God began to work in his life. He began to read the Bible and see the call to go to the, the nations, the heathen as they called them at that time. And he, he began to look at the map and look at the lostness in the world and began to, to desire to just leave England and, and go and share the gospel for the glory of God. Ambition, godly ambition. And he preached a famous sermon called the Deathless Sermon. And in that sermon to to English ministers who didn't care about the lost, didn't care about missions, he gave them two points. Here were his two points. Expect great things from God. Second point, attempt great things for God. That's a pretty good matrix for our lives, isn't it? Expect great things things from God, 
attempt great things for God. What do you desire to do for the glory of God? Now, we're going to talk about this next week in your connect groups. So get ready to talk about this question. You need to discuss this with each other. Dream a little bit. Challenge each other. Encourage each other. Help each other. But if we can't answer the question, what do we desire to do for the glory of God? We've lost our ambition. And I believe one of the reasons that Apollos was used so greatly is because he was thinking about what he could do, how God could use his life to expand the kingdom. And so here's the point. Apollos is a blueprint for a godly life, a a powerful life. Here's, Here's the point. If you desire to glorify God, and I hope you do, I really hope you do, if you desire to glorify God, one of my most consistent prayers for my kids is this, God, give them a passion for your glory. Help them understand it's not about them, it's about you. If you desire to glorify God, God, and I hope you do. With all that is within me, I hope you desire to give glory to the name of the one who saved you, who redeemed you, who loves you, who gives you hope and promise and fulfillment and peace. I hope you desire to glorify him. If you desire to glorify God, desire his power as you serve him. If you desire to glorify God, desire his power as you serve him. And listen to me, it's hard to articulate. It's hard to put into words. But when, when God's power is on you, when his hand is on you, it will make a difference in your life. And you'll know it. If you desire to glorify God, seek his power as you serve him.